Hello, and welcome to All Things Plantagenet. My name is Donnie Hazel, and I am your host. To all of my original listeners, welcome back. To those new to the show, welcome. I am a storytelling historian with a great love for the Plantagenet dynasty, as I am a direct descendant to Geoffrey of Anjou via my paternal line on my grandmother Carter's side. I descend through Diana Skipwith, daughter of Sir Henry Skipwith and Amy Kemp. Diana married Captain Thomas Carter. They immigrated to the Americas in 1650, settling in Barford in Lancaster County, Virginia. So with that said, please like and download the show as it helps other listeners learn about the show. If you wish to support this podcast, there is a link for you to do so, and it would be much appreciated as it would help with costs of maintaining the website www.allthingsplantagenet.com where you can find the podcast as well as extra items for each episode you can read or download. You can also find great books and videos for sale as well. Feel free to also visit our Facebook page. A link is provided as well on the website. Okay, on to the episode. While most historical murder mysteries were solved not long after the crime was committed, Sometimes it's left up to modern science and historians to determine how and why a person died. In this series, we look at some of the great unsolved deaths of the past, bringing to life the many theories surrounding them and piecing together the evidence. Hundreds of years may have passed since these events took place, but with the help of forensics, criminologists and specialist experts, we will attempt to solve these medieval murder mysteries. According to the official line, he died in a drunken brawl. A perfectly acceptable story is that they were smothered. And so died King Edward II. Murder. And legend has it that Prince Arthur died of the shock of castration. It's a possibility. But on the other hand, it's a most unreliable way of killing somebody. England, 1327. The body of the recently deposed King Edward II lays on his cell at Barclay Castle, waiting to be embalmed. If official accounts are to be believed, Edward died from natural causes, perhaps an undisclosed illness. But for some, the demise of the former king was suspiciously timely and all too convenient for his enemies. In medieval times, I think pretty easy to get away with murder if you were intelligent and uh, you knew how the system operated. Could there be more sinister and gruesome reasons behind the death of Edward II? He'd already escaped from at least uh, as a prisoner two castles, so they decided in the end to, to kill him. For centuries, many rumours have circulated about what really happened to Edward. Some believe he was murdered by having a cow horn and a red-hot poker inserted into his bowels. I think the cow horn story and the red-hot poker, um, although some people will say it's not true, I, I, I tend to believe that it is, is fact. 
How quickly he died depends on how long the poker was and how hot the poker was. If it just goes through the bowel wall into the belly cavity, he will die relatively slowly, but in very great pain. Others say that he was suffocated. The belief here at Barclay, and it's certainly my idea, is that Edward was suffocated, probably under a heavy mattress. I would equate it more with the motivation of an assassin. And for that reason, we could look at the person that's committed that assassination as being somebody who's potentially a psychopath. And there are those who are convinced that Edward escaped. Personally, I don't think Edward II died at Barclay Castle. I think Lord Barclay's statement, I didn't know the king was dead until his present parliament, is an indicator uh, of the truth. It would be incredible if one day we found the answer to what happened to Edward II, and I believe we have such an extensive, um, a lot of archive material here at Barclay. I believe we could solve this great mystery and find out was Edward murdered or did he die of natural causes? The late Middle Ages was a turbulent time for England. The Great Famine and savage civil wars had left the country in a state of near collapse. What England needed was a strong, decisive and able ruler. What it got was Edward II. Edward II was the son of Edward I and his uh, wife, Ellen of Castile. We know he had a very lonely childhood. We know his father kept him in sort of a, really a royal nursery, looked after by squires and uh, commoners. Edward II was a man born to be king, but he wasn't fitted, he wasn't trained. He became king at a time when England was involved in a very bloody and long war with Scotland. While at war with the Scots, Edward was also plagued by an uprising of English barons. He was now fighting a war on two fronts. Edward II was personally very brave, very courageous, but as a general, he had nothing of his father's ability. He was defeated in Scotland in May 1314 at the famous Battle of Bannockburn and had to retreat south. Edward also found it difficult to trust his leading earls and in particular, his cousin, Thomas of Lancaster. Thomas, second Earl of Lancaster, was a grandson of King Henry III. His intense dislike for the king, along with his own ambition, led him to be a key player in the revolt against Edward's reign. For most of Edward's reign, he was involved in a really quite bloody struggle with Lancaster. Edward was victorious by sheer fluke. Other people did the fighting for him and Thomas of Lancaster was executed. In 1308, Edward married Isabella, the daughter of King Philip IV of France. She was just 12 years old at the time, but the marriage was one of convenience rather than love. King Edward II was certainly not his father, Edward I. He was, he, he, as far as his father was concerned, he was a failure and despite having a healthy family, was a homosexual and um, surrounded himself with handsome favourites. But his real favourite was Piers Gaveston, um, and he put him in, a, in a, a very high, exalted position. 
Gaveston uh, really put the country against not only Edward but against himself and Gaveston eventually was beheaded by the Earl of Warwick. By 1325, after 17 years of marriage, Edward and Isabella's relationship had now begun to crumble. Isabella had been accepting of Edward's close friendship with Geveston, but her intense dislike for Edward's new favorite, Hugh Dispenser, would set in motion the downfall of the unpopular king. Dispenser was a real gangster, a thug. His influence over Edward seems to have been complete, so much so that Isabella fled to France. While in France, of course, Isabella met Dispenser's enemy, Mortimer, who was in exile, and formed an alliance with him. Roger Mortimer was a powerful English noble who conducted a failed uprising against Edward and Dispenser. Mortimer had been imprisoned, but escaped and fled to France. Eventually, Edward and Dispenser have their way. The French say to Isabella, you've got to leave. So she flees to the Low Countries to a place called Hainault, where she manages to negotiate a wedding settlement with her young son and the Count of Hainault's daughter. Part of the dowry is an invasion fleet. Together, Isabella and Mortimer manage to gain support and raise an army to invade England. Comprising mainly of mercenaries and a few exiled English nobles, they set sail from France. On the 24th of September, 1326, Isabella and Mortimer's invasion force landed on English soil. Edward and Dispenser try to raise troops, but they can't. It's just a general collapse. No one will support them. They were forced to flee to Wales, but were soon hunted down and captured. Edward is put into honorable sort of prison house arrest at Kenilworth. Dispenser, however, is taken to Hereford, where he is most barbarously executed. Hanged, drawn, quartered, castrated, um, the full rigor of the law for treason. In the months that followed, Kenilworth Castle proved a less than secure location to imprison Edward. It had several local nobles who remained loyal to the king and were planning his escape. When Isabella and Mortimer heard about the plot to free Edward, they quickly had him moved to Berkeley Castle. So much of, of, of Britain's medieval history tends to lie in ruins, but not so with Berkeley Castle. It, it is so well preserved. Um, we still have the steps that King Edward II walked up to. We still have uh, the doorway that he went through and the room where he was murdered. The oubliette outside is still preserved. And, and to be honest with you, Barclay, Barclay Castle is, is one of the best preserved medieval castles in the British Isles. And of course has one of the most fascinating, horrendous murder stories in British history. It was up these steps that in 1327 they brought Edward II prisoner. When he first came, he was treated very well. We have paperwork that shows that an allowance of five pounds a day was made to keep the king, his servants, he had his own chef, 
and a, a marshal to look after his horses. So he lived like a wealthy gentleman, but he was a prisoner and he wanted to escape. It's one of the oldest inhabited castles in the country. For nearly 850 years, it has been home to 27 generations of the Barclay family. The current heir, Charles Barclay, has undertaken the task of sorting through the extensive archive, dating back hundreds of years. We have here one of the very old documents in the castle. We've got archives going back to the 12th century. I can unroll some of this. This document here tells the story of Sir Thomas Gurney um, going to Nottingham to tell Edward III, the king's son, um, that his father um, hadn't been murdered. He'd be died of natural causes. A noble knight, Sir Thomas Gurney, was the man sent by Thomas de Barclay to deliver the news of Edward's death. Gurney himself would later be accused of Edward's murder, bringing the validity of death by natural causes into question. You can imagine how it was taken by the king's son, by Edward III at the time. Um, an incredible document in, in reasonably good condition. Um, and it tells a, a very important piece of, of English history. For many scholars and historians, the suspicious circumstances surrounding Edward's death has led them to search for other possibilities. But if Edward II's death was not the result of natural causes, how did he die and why? One of the most enduring theories of Edward's death has become a cornerstone of England's long and bloody history. Nearly 700 years, this medieval murder mystery has confounded scholars and historians. Author and historian Richard Felix has researched the red hot poker theory and believes it to be true. King Edward II was deposed by his wife, Queen Isabella, and her lover, Roger Moore. He was imprisoned in Barclay Castle, but he had to die. He was in the way. They imprisoned him next to the Oubliette, a deep dungeon where animal bodies, carcasses, and human bodies were also thrown. The whole idea was for the king to die of the stench, jail fever, typhus, but he was made of hardier stuff. Legend has it that they then tried to suffocate him. But remember, this guy should have no marks or scars on his body. It had to be a natural death. And they say that they actually took a huge oak table and tried to suffocate him with it. Number one, he would have had marks on him, and number two, 
no one would die of suffocation. Not from an oak table. So they went for stronger stuff. burst into his cell, laid him face down on a table, and then inserted into his anus a cow's horn. The whole idea would be that there would then be no marks, no burns, no scars on the king. Hold him. They then took a red-hot poker from the fire and inserted it through the cow's horn into the king's bowels. The king's screams could be heard outside the walls of the castle in Barclay Village. It took him well over a quarter of an hour to die in dreadful agony. He eventually died of either a seizure, shock, or a heart attack. And so died King Edward II, and the road was now clear for Isabella and Roger Mortimer to rule England. But not for long. For nearly 700 years, this medieval murder mystery has confounded scholars and historians. But what would a modern-day forensic pathologist, barrister and criminal psychologist make of the evidence? From royal tribunals to international murder cases, barrister Andrew Rose has both defended and prosecuted at numerous criminal trials over his career. With regard to a death such as Edward II's, if it happened in the way it's alleged with the use of a red-hot poker, couldn't possibly escape the attention of modern-day pathologists. These days, modern forensic techniques are elaborate. And in any event, uh, my view would be that to administer cause death in that method would leave unmistakable signs, physical signs, uh, very easily detectable on, on, a, on a preliminary examination, even before the pathologist had... had uh, done any internal examination of the cadaver. Professor Mike Green is a former Home Office pathologist. His years of experience have seen him carry out countless examinations at crime scenes to determine the exact cause of death. If Edward II was killed with the classical red-hot poker up his backside, which is the story which has gone around for years and years and years. I don't think death would have been instantaneous. How 
quickly he died depends on how long the poker was and how hot the poker was. If it just goes up the first four inch of his, uh, inches of his rectum, uh, which is the straight bit of your large bowel, it will then go through the bowel wall into the belly cavity, um, sort of about here on my tongue. And so he'll get the contents of his bowel spilling into his tummy and he'll get peritonitis and he will die relatively slowly but in very great pain. If the poker goes in further, it will depend on the direction in which they point it. It could hit a very large blood vessel like his aorta or his vena cava. It could go through his liver and, of course, within nine inches or 10 or 12 at the most, it could go up through his diaphragm, might even hit his heart or his left lung, and then he'd die very quickly indeed. I tend to believe that it is, is fact. I cannot imagine anybody making up such a ridiculous story unless it happened. And obviously the, the real reason was so there were no marks left on his body by the cow horn, but I also think there are certain connotations in it, in the fact that he was openly gay. Um, and his wife, Isabella, known as the she-wolf of France, I honestly think that she wanted to punish him. Dr Kieran O'Keefe is head of criminal psychology at Buckinghamshire New University. He studies and assesses the deep-rooted causes that lead people to criminal behaviour, such as violence or murder. Public humiliation could be a trigger uh, for violence, for aggression and ultimately for murder. There can be a number of different triggers. But in public humiliation, in this particular case, if the root of it is down to kind of jealousy, there seems to be kind of a sexual element to it as well, all of those things will fuel the aggression, will fuel almost uh, revenge fantasies as well. So it's revenge focused on Edward, that's the first thing, but also if the perpetrator, the wife, if she feels as though she has been publicly humiliated, the only way at that time in history potentially to save face would be to show that she's in control, she's the powerful one, and therefore be the aggressor. Even with a cow horn inserted first to act as a guide for the poker, I think it would have been difficult. I'm inclined to think that this is a story that was put around afterwards because of his alleged homosexuality. And certainly if I was going to kill somebody without leaving a mark, that's not a method I would choose. He's an anointed medieval king, and that didn't stop people getting rid of anointed kings, but there would be a very deep thought given to the way in which he was to be disposed of leaving as few physical signs as possible. I think the idea of inserting a red-hot poker is improbable because I think it would, have, even to an outside external appearance, have given an indication that some form of violence had been used upon him in an intimate part of the body. Whereas some other form of death, such as smothering, might not leave uh, a physical sign, although, to be fair, it's quite likely that he was to be smothered, he would have struggled, and there might then have been physical injuries. So it's another consideration to be, to be weighed in the balance. Is it possible that Edward II was killed with a red-hot poker? 
the story is a favourite of history books and tour guides alike. But is there a less fanciful but equally deadly way to kill a king? Linda McLaren is an official guide at Barclay Castle, where they have their own theory about what happened to Edward II. We're now in the room where it is believed Edward II was murdered on the 21st of September, 1327. Now, the big question, of course, is how was this man murdered? The original idea was that he had a red-hot poker pushed into his backside. I think that's unlikely. If you want to murder someone quietly and discreetly, the last thing that's going to spring to mind is the red-hot poker. Other people believe that he escaped, that he actually got away from Barclay. he fled over to Ireland and then to Europe, where he spent the rest of his life in a hermitage. Unlikely for a Plantagenet king, I think. But what we believe here in Berkeley is that he was suffocated as he slept on his bed. He was suffocated because they didn't want any signs of violence on the king's body. Because the body would have to be identified before it was taken to Gloucester Cathedral. And that is where Edward II's tomb is. That is certainly where my money is, and it's what we believe here at Barclay. What do our experts make of the claim that Edward was suffocated to death? There have been cases where people have smothered, suffocated people, often people in poor state of health who are not able to struggle in order to perhaps inherit money uh, or for some other motive. Uh, and it's sometimes not too difficult to do if the, as I said, the person who is the victim, is, is, is elderly or weak, um, poor health, smothering with a pillow might be a fairly easy thing to do. If you're going to strangle somebody and put either your hands or a piece of rope round the neck, that almost always leaves some external signs, not just the damage to the neck, but the face is purple, there are little hemorrhages into the skin round the eyes. On the other hand, if you use uh, uh, duro, deliberate upper respiratory obstruction, with a pillow or a blanket over the face or a, a hand over the mouth, you don't get the classical signs of asphyxia. You don't get the eyes popping out, you don't get the purple face and the protruding tongue. In medieval times, it would have been much more difficult, I think, to assess how somebody had died if, if there was a 
there had been some form of suffocation, although, of course, lack of oxygen, there were certain signs, I believe. Uh, but, but no, I think in uh, the, the medieval forensic science was, um, would have hardly filled the back of a halfpenny coin in those days. Um, if we are going to assume that Edward was in a weakened state anyway, he's been starved and he's been uh, nursed in a dungeon which has been, in effect, a half a septic tank. He's going to be in no position to struggle. He's going to die fairly quickly, I should think, and so there will, could well be no signs at all. The other problem that we have, of course, is that uh, they broke all their own laws, they didn't involve the coroner, they didn't have a jury to view the body. The only people who looked at his body while it was fresh after death were the people who might have well been involved in the killing anyway. So we've got no independent description at all of whether he showed any signs or not. If Edward was suffocated on the orders of Isabella and Mortimer, who would they have used to carry out the murder? Dr. Kieran O'Keefe is an expert in forensic and criminal psychology. He believes whoever carried out the murder may not have had a choice. If you've been given the order, but been told, if you don't do this, then the consequences will be far greater. So the consequences will be you will be punished or your family will be punished or you will be executed because it's an order from the Queen. So therefore, the costs are much greater if you don't do it than if you just commit the murder. So that's one sort of situation that might have been in play. When you look at uh, killings that occur um, in that sort of environment, anybody is prone to do that killing if they're put in a situation where they have no choice. If Edward was murdered, where does the blame ultimately lie? If Isabella had ordered or indirectly indicated that uh, Edward should be killed, she would be a party to the crime. No doubt about that at all. Uh, she would be, at the very least, an agent the better. In fact, I think she'd be a principal because she was giving the orders that uh, he should go. So, yes, subject to her royal status um, and, and the law of the time, but that's one thing. But in terms of modern uh, legal theory, she would be just as guilty as a person who actually did the, did the deed, whatever the deed was, which caused the death of, of Edward. Suffocation, a tried and tested method for taking the life of your enemies. It would seem to be an effective way to conceal a murder if indeed a murder did actually take place at all. Author and historian Paul Doherty has spent many years researching the life and death of Edward II. He believes that something else may have happened to the deposed king, something that doesn't involve an illness, a red-hot poker, or indeed any form of death at Barclay Castle. I believe Edward II escaped from Barclay Castle. What happened to him afterwards is the real mystery. 
Isabella and Mortimer, however, had to hide that fact. They used the corpse of an imposter. That's why they wouldn't allow the body be, to be taken across country to the Royal Mausoleum at Westminster or allow royal officials or royal physicians to dress the corpse. Instead, they hired this nameless, anonymous woman. The real mystery of Edward II has never been resolved. He'd already escaped from at least uh, as a prisoner two castles, as well as uh, trying to escape, a plot was hatched to, to take him away from Barclay. And they felt after this that they couldn't go on keeping him at the castle. Knowing that his life was in danger, did Edward, or those loyal to him, somehow manage to orchestrate his escape from Barclay Castle? And if so, how did they do it? Is it possible that he escaped? My theory is that they definitely got into the castle. We know that they were doing repair work at Barclay at the time. There were a lot of carpenters around. Perhaps they were able to infiltrate the workmen, and they got in. Come with us, you Bruce. Oh, God! Many English nobles were still loyal to Edward, believing him to be the true king of England. But could he have escaped from Barclay? And if he had, how was it covered up, and why? Most of the gang that attacked Barclay Castle were rounded up and disappeared. They were never put on trial. They too disappeared into history. Mortimer and Isabella wanted to smooth things out. They wanted to keep things evil. They couldn't very well broadcast that their former king was on the loose. They also had to take care of any stories that he had been freed that he could even stage a comeback. What better way than to have a, a mass, a royal funeral, a requiem mass, the court turn of a Gloucester, uh, a solemn burial, all the festivities and the, um, all the um, liturgy around this. What they wanted to do was really bury, not so much Edward II, but bury his name, bury his reign. One piece of evidence that seems to support the theory that Edward escaped is a document known as the Fieschi Letter. Manuel Fieschi, an Italian um, papal legate, that has supposedly interviewed the Welshman who was supposedly Edward II. The letter states that Edward II did not in fact die at Barclay Castle. Instead, it suggests that Edward swapped clothes with a servant and used the disguise to escape. He then apparently was taken to Corfe Castle, from Corfe Castle to Ireland, and became a hermit. And he died somewhere in, in, in Italy years later. Could Edward II have escaped from Barclay Castle to spend the remainder of his life in exile? It certainly seems to be a possibility, but is there any real evidence to support this? If Edward was murdered at Barclay Castle, how did it happen? The only thing you could do to identify that this was the king was find people who knew him well and say, this is the king, this is Edward.
easy enough on a fresh body, on a body which has been stuck in a casket and has been uh, taken around, uh, what, from Barclay to Bristol and then somewhere else, by the time it's putrefied and bloated and brown and green and unpleasant, um, identification is going to be difficult. The other thing is there is this problem that there are no independent witnesses. Personally, I don't think Edward II died at Barclay Castle. I think Lord Barclay's statement, I didn't know the king was dead until his present parliament, is an indicator uh, of the truth. I can't understand why they didn't allow the body to be buried at Westminster. I can't understand why they didn't allow royal physicians. I can't understand why they didn't allow royal witnesses to say, yes, that is the body of Edward II. So on the balance of probability, they were hiding something very, very serious. And I believe that Edward II had escaped, Mortimer and Isabella panicked, and they had a lookalike buried. Could it be possible that Edward did survive and managed to escape to safety, never to be heard from again? What motivates people to, quote, disappear, unquote, uh, is very varied. Uh, there are, of course, people who do it uh, simply to escape justice. Uh, to, to partake of their ill-gotten gains somewhere else. Also cases of people afraid they're going to be prosecuted, so they decide they'd better disappear. Um, there are, are many possibilities here, but certainly it's a, it's a motivation for people to, um, to disappear if they think that their, their current persona is a, is a dangerous one or one which is going to land them in, in jail. Why did Edward never attempt to reclaim his throne as the rightful King of England? So you've got situations, even in royalty, royalty within the last hundred years, you've got cases where people have stepped out of the limelight, not wanted all of the glitz and glamour or, or public scrutiny that occurs, and be quite happy living in a, you know, a two-by-two two house and not have to deal with any of that. It's not surprising that that happens. There seems to be little doubt that Edward would have wanted to escape. But with so little physical evidence to go on, how can it be proven? Should we accept the official account that Edward died of natural causes? Can we believe the tale of the red-hot poker? Or was he killed by suffocation? As many people now believe. But when all the evidence is weighed up, is there any conclusive proof of what fate befell the once King of England? We have so many documents here in the castle, but none of them really say for definite, yeah, Edward was murdered in this way um, at the castle, or he died of natural causes for definite. And most people agree he did die here, whether it was natural causes or he was murdered. But could Edward have escaped, as some people believe? 
precious little evidence that Edward escaped from Barclay Castle and quite a lot of evidence that he died there. But again, how he died is, 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 is difficult to determine. If Edward was killed at Barclay Castle, what method was used? One of the forms of killing him was to actually position his cell near what was called an oubliette, which was a, a deep pit where animal bones, animal bodies, carcasses, human um, bodies as well were thrown. And the whole idea was for him to die of what they called the stench, uh, which was typhus. But he didn't. If Edward II was killed with the classical red-hot poker up his backside, which is the story which has gone around for years and years and years, I think there could well have been no signs whatsoever. You see, if your story is true, if you're accepting, accepting this hypothesis, they've thought it out very carefully. They've used the cow horn, in effect, as a proctoscope so that there's no chance of the red-hot poker burning the thighs or producing burns around the anus itself. It is a, a practical hypothesis. You could do it, but it gives you no guarantee of a quick death. And also, why choose a complicated way of killing somebody when you've got an easy way? events taking place almost 700 years ago and with nearly all evidence lost it's easy to see how so many different theories could arise over time one point however does remain consistent most historians now agree that the official account of death by natural causes was most likely a cover-up but for what Probably the best-known theory of all. It's a tale that has been around for generations. But experts now tend to agree that using a red-hot poker to cause death without leaving visible signs is a rather complicated and improbable method. The red-hot poker theory, which emerged many years later, doesn't really seem plausible. Whether he was smothered, of course, that is possible, but when people are smothered, they often struggle. On the other hand, if he's in a weak condition when he was smothered, he might not have been able to struggle. In other words, if perhaps he had been starved or was ill, uh, very weak, it might be possible to dispatch him without much, indeed, any sign that a crime would have been committed. It's a fascinating story, if true. But there is no hard evidence to support the claim that Edward II escaped from Barclay Castle. Although rumours have persisted over the years, experts are reluctant to agree in the absence of hard proof. Which leaves us with one last theory. Most experts agree that Edward was murdered at Barclay Castle, and it seems most likely that they would have used simple but effective means to kill him. Suffocation would have guaranteed his death while leaving little to no visible signs of foul play. Even if it had got to the point where I could say death was due to asphyxia by smothering, I could have certainly put on the death certificate, and this is one of my favourite phrases, appearances consistent with. 
a sad and violent end to a man who is remembered more for his personal relationships and public failures than for his achievements as King of England. But what happened to the people responsible for his death, Isabella and Mortimer? Mortimer had been granted considerable titles, land and wealth by Isabella, and his increasing grip on power began to worry the young Edward III. And in October 1330, Mortimer was arrested on the king's orders. He stood trial, accused of 14 crimes, including assuming royal power and the murder of Edward II. Found guilty on all 14 charges, he was taken to London and executed by hanging. Isabella, however, received a more lenient punishment. Stripped of her excessive wealth and land, she retired to Castle Rising in Norfolk. Shortly before she died, aged 63, Isabella joined a monastic order and became a nun, perhaps as penance for her part in the murder of Edward II.